We're back. We're back in the studio, everybody. How's it going? I hope you guys are having a great week. It is, uh, it's the week after Waterloo is, o- is over. It's Wednesday. It's been a few days. Um, if I'm talking weird, I don't think I look weird, but if I'm talking weird, it's, uh, it's because I had to get a filling, an emergency filling this afternoon after I chomped down on some gum and broke a filling. So that was, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what's happening on the numbness. So if I drink water and it starts slobbering everywhere, I actually have like a paper towel to clean that up. So, you know, it's going great. Wednesday's great. Hope you guys are, <laughs> hope you guys are having a better Wednesday. I mean, it's not that bad, but you know, better than having to get emergency fillings. Anyway, um, Palooza was a blast. I'm very, very excited, uh, with how that went. It was really an ex- uh, just a, a jam packed experience. Uh, you know, Chase and I were out there in Miami. If you guys caught any of our coverage, I hope you guys did because I, I personally think it was, it was really, really good. I think we did a really good job of letting you guys know what's going on and recapping, um, the competition and a whole bunch of other really cool things that were happening. Overall, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I have some notes here, some stuff I wanted to share with you guys. First off, uh, channel broke 27,000 subs. That's pretty awesome. Let's just, this one's for you guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. 27,000 subs. Uh, I never really thought that, uh, you know, it would end up being something like this. That was really exciting. One of the things that I really looked forward to when I started this channel was like, Hey man, I kind of want to just participate in and talk to people um, and be a part of all these big conversations that everybody is, is having at these different gyms. And I think I can add to that. And I think having 27,000 people sub to the channel, uh, it's just validation that I think I'm, I'm kind of moving in the right direction and doing the right types of things. So thank you guys very much. Um, another sort of like state of the channel thing. We got 185,000 views just on Wadapalooza content in the past week. So that's pretty dope. I mean, like six, five or six days worth of content getting uh, 185,000 views feels pretty, pretty, pretty good. You know what I mean? Um, on the weird side of things though, I don't know if you guys saw this. I, I, I put it on my, uh, on my Instagram as well as on Twitter that my Matt Fraser interview, that wonderful, like 40 ish minute long interview where Chase and I sat down with them, uh, on, I think it was Friday night. must've been Friday night, um, was demonetized by YouTube for whatever reason. And I could not get any sort of reasoning out of, out of YouTube as to why that got demonetized, which is kind of a bit of a pain in the dick, I think is a great way of describing it. Um, it, it kind of is a, is a, like a, a gut check in a way, because when it gets demonetized, it's not just that, Oh, there's no ads that run on it. It also sort of gets buried. So what I'm actually, I'm really proud of that. I think it was really cool content. We got to see a side of Matt that we don't really see that often. He talked about some stuff that he doesn't really talk about that often from, you know, what he's going to do after he retires and how he wants to sort of, you know, pay it back to the weightlifting community and, and the community that, you know, kind of fostered him, Um, some people suggested that maybe it was swearing. I swear a lot in a lot of our videos and I'm pretty sure 
that wasn't it. Uh, and I really don't like, I've gone through it. I don't think there was anything really out of the blue. Like, I don't think anything happened during that interview that would, um, that would, that would kind of warrant it being demonetized. So like I said, it's content that I'm really proud of. I thought it was really good. And, and one of the bummers about it being demonetized is it stops getting pushed to people. It doesn't really get recommended as much as I think it should. So something that would probably over its lifetime get something like 100,000 views is like kind of stunted around the 15 or 20,000 view mark. Who knows? I don't, I don't really know. Maybe that'll get resolved eventually. But honestly, YouTube is not the most responsive company, especially to small little channels like mine. So who knows what's going on with that? Um, hopefully you guys will see it. If you haven't seen it, just head over to the channel and check it out. It's really, really good. Uh, another thing is to kind of shout out to everybody that, um, supported the channel. I mean, I have a couple of our hats hanging out over here. Uh, while we were in Miami, we were selling some stuff, not the hats, unfortunately, but we had, a. Uh, we had some different shirts and stuff. We have some different merch that was available out there. Really, really cool getting a chance to meet everybody and hang out and, uh, you know, get a chance to sort of share the love in person. Waterpalooza is really good about that, making sure that you know, so many people are coming together. Um, and then the very last thing that I wanted to say before we get into our Waterpalooza review is uh, that if you want to directly support the channel and you don't want to... Uh, you know, buy some merch or you are just trying to figure out how you can keep this thing going for me. Um, the best possible way you can do that is to go to armandhammer.tv slash support. And that gives you the opportunity to essentially support the channel with a monthly recurring subscription. So it's anywhere it's three, nine, 15 or $21 a month. You see what I'm doing there? 21, 15, nine, three. That's like a rep scheme for a workout. You guys are picking up what I'm putting down, but honestly, every little bit helps. We already have a bunch of people involved in that. It helps the channel keep going. It helps pay for trips like the trip out to Wadapalooza. You guys see that I don't really have any sponsors. That's kind of on purpose, trying to figure out if we can make this thing work without having many big name sponsors rotating through um, or having me do a ton of like, you know, 60 second ad reads. So if you want to support the channel, that is the best way to do it. Armandhammer.tv slash support. Uh, there are going to be future options there. I mean, at some point we'll have like custom, like single time, um, subscriptions or, or custom single time sort of like support options there. Uh, but for now it's just the recurring membership and there are perks that are involved in that, but you know, those are kind of secret for the people who have them either way. That is enough of that. We had a, a great time talking about the state of the channel. Everything's going great. Let's talk about the state of Wadapalooza. Now, a couple things you guys may or may not know. First off, I have gone to Wadapalooza 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. This is my fifth year in a row going to Wadapalooza. Um, I've been there uh, usually the few times, the first few times I went was on behalf of Flow Elite. Now, you might already know who Flow Elite is because they're the ones who handled the live stream for Wadapalooza. And we will talk about the broadcast. I have a lot of thoughts about that. My role back then uh, was as a senior editor, so I was in charge of all the content. So my job was to cover the sport of CrossFit, and the the channel, uh, the the company made money by buying the rights or licensing the rights to live experiences, to live uh, competitions, producing a live stream, and then charging subscription uh, for people to watch those live streams. Um, 
we always had when we were at flow, we always had hurdles to cross uh, lots of different things. And I'll, I'll get more in depth about how things are going with the broadcast and, and, uh, and sort of my thoughts on that once we get there. But I just wanted to make sure that that was sort of cleared off. You know, you guys know that I have like a long history with Wadapalooza. The, the reason why I bring up my, you know, my work history with flow elite is that actually, I think it gives me a very unique perspective, a very different insight into exactly how this entire process works because I've seen it from both ends. I have a really good working relationship with uh, Matt O'Keefe of Loud and Live and Dylan, his right-hand man who are in charge of all of these different sanctionals that Loud and Live handles. Um, I have a good relationship with the guys and the gals at Flow Sports um, who are in charge of you know, the live production and the handling of the rights and the licensing and stuff. So I kind of seen it from both sides. I'm independent. You know, I get to experience and talk about and, you know, provide my perspective on these different events, having drawn from all of those different histories and all those different relationships. And I think that is really important. Um, You know, I think, I think that just lends a little bit more uh, depth uh, to the type of criticisms or um, feedback that I provide. And I think events, usually when I run into event organizers and we talk about that sort of thing, they tend to understand where I'm coming from and take it seriously. So with that said, you know, this is my opinion on Wadapalooza. Overall, I'm just going to start with overall. We're going to talk about, um, let's see, one, two, three, four. We're going to talk about five different categories. We're going to look at programming, competition, broadcast, in-person experience, and prize money. Those are our five. Those are our five categories. We're going to take a look at here. Um, but I'm going to start overall, and I'm going to say Wadapalooza crushed it. Uh, it it always has been, outside of the CrossFit Games, the biggest and best live fitness festival feel thing that occurs. Um, arguably it's even better than the CrossFit games in that respect because it's in Miami as opposed to Madison. And that alone is a huge leg up, a huge advantage that Wadapalooza has. So Wadapalooza has always been top tier, especially in its more modern iterations. Over the past few years, it's really taken it to the next level. It's really leaned into what what is it that people want to be able to experience while they're boots on the ground for an event like this. And they have been sort of rewarded with massive growth. I mean, they had really big marquee uh, non-endemic partners this year like Ram. You know, it's not very often. We saw Strength and Depth had a partnership with Porsche, this is a sign that things are moving in the right direction with this sport. You're starting to get companies that aren't just either homegrown brands that built within the community and grew out of it, but you're also starting to get really large companies from outside looking in and saying, hey, that community is valuable. I want to speak to that community. I want to be a part of that community. I mean, right across the the sort of way from the Ram tent was Chipotle. And they had they had themed, they had branded Matt Fraser and Tia Claire Toomey bowls and burritos available, which were delicious, by the way, delicious. So we're really starting to see a little bit of the outside world penetrate into CrossFit. And I think that's a really positive thing on the whole. And I think it's a it's a good sign. It's kind of a sign that 
Wadapalooza specifically is a fantastic product and experience from all different levels. And I think it's also a sign that the CrossFit sport and community is valuable in the fact that it just exists, that brings these people together, this specific type of demographic, this specific type of person. That's a really valuable thing that, um, you know, being able to capitalize on that, being able to leverage that is only going to grow the, 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 the sport. It's only going to grow the participation and the uh, prize pool across the various sanctionals. So overall, you know, Wadapalooza is top tier. Um, if it's not the gold standard, it's pretty much tied with the gold standard of how events should happen and what they should look like. That doesn't mean that they nailed everything. So let's go ahead and uh, and and talk about this. Uh, but first, as always, water, main sponsor of this channel, hydration super important. Back at it with my mason jar. You know, uh, this one does not have the measurements on it, so I don't know how many ounces of liquid this is. I also can still not feel half of my face, so let's hope I don't spill anything. Did I pull that off? Did I pull that off without spilling anything? All right. Let's talk about the programming. So we did a whole live stream right before Wadapalooza kicked off where we looked at the programming of the weekend that they had released. We learned more and more over the course of the weekend. We saw sort of what was going on and what they were trying to do. And I think the first half, maybe like the first three quarters of the weekend was essentially lower body focused almost entirely. I mean, we started off with loose. That's, you know, a go ruck bag or a weight vest in, in normal settings, go ruck bag. It has a three K run in it. It has a three, 300 air squats in it. And it has uh, 30 muscle ups, 30 muscle ups, you know, not as damaging on your body as 300 air squats would be right. The very next workout was assault bike sprints and overhead lunges, weighted overhead lunges, ascending weight, weighted overhead lunges. I mean, the very last men's he did front rack lunges, but still very leg aggressive. Um, the next workout was a 12 minute row for uh, max meters. We'll talk about that in a second because that was by far my favorite event of the uh, of the entire weekend. Um, they had the pump sesh triplet the following night. After that, they had the swimming workout, which really wasn't a swimming workout. It was more of a pistol workout because it had 160 or 170 pistols in it. Then from there, you know, they did uh, a deadlift burpee workout. They did, um, you know, the, the final workout with the chipper um, that had like the box jump overs. So by the time we got to the last couple of workouts, it wasn't so much about your leg endurance and your lower body stamina. But the first two thirds, maybe three quarters of the entire weekend was all lower body workouts. In fact, some of the athletes that I talked to were like, hey, you know, I feel like my lower body got trashed, but I didn't feel like I was using my upper body until we got to Saturday night or Sunday. And, you know, I don't know. I I, I, I think the most egregious sort of uh, not like the most egregious strike in the programming is the fact that they did loose to start it off. And then in the middle of it, they did. Uh, the shark bait event that had all those pistols. The fact that they sort of went back and forth and did 300 weighted air squats in the in the beginning of the event, and then another like 170 pistols in the middle of the event, that to me rings a little bit redundant. It's just a little too 
aggressive. It's the type of thing that you would see at the CrossFit Games, and we saw something like that at the Games where uh, I believe it was 2017. They did the um, 17.5, which was the double under and thruster workout. So they did 90 plus thrusters with uh, you know a heavier weight than you'd see in the open. So I think it was supposed to be 135.95, but they had misloaded the bar, so it was like 130 and 90 or something but so they did heavy thrusters and then the very following day the first workout the very following day was the overhead squat the interval the 2223 overhead squat interval workout where you're trying to do 75 overhead squats at uh you know uh, 155 or 105 on the women's side and like that to me is redundancy that you see at the games like there's clearly something specific that is trying to go for whether you agree with it or not that's just kind of the testing of the games is redundant sometimes like that i don't know if that should be the case at sanctionals so you know it was really lower body focused the time domains were well balanced overall they had like the sprinting slash heavy event early on in the um in the weekend starting on friday uh friday night with that um assault bike overhead lunge workout that got progressively heavier and heavier. Um, the deadlifts were pretty heavy near the back end. There was not a one at max event. I was actually really happy to see that there wasn't a one at max event. I think it's important for sanctionals and just CrossFit competitions in general to find new and different ways of testing top end power that isn't just a one or max snatch or a one or max clean. Um, so, you know, kudos to them for being able to put that together. Uh, they had a wide range of time domains and different type of modal domains, pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, there wasn't really any major skills lacking from the test. Uh, but you know, overall, I think they, they kind of hit it. Um, I'm going to give it like a B plus a minus B plus a minus, which puts it on par with, in my opinion, mayhem, um, you know, mayhem. Had a couple things that I, I would have liked to see differently. Wadapalooza has a couple things I would have liked to see differently. In Wadapalooza, really the biggest sort of knock on the programming is that it was super leg intensive and maybe ignored so much of the upper body outside of like one or two workouts in the first three quarters of the weekend. And the actual sort of excitement of watching the events, the zhuzh wasn't there. You know, there, there was, there was something, there was something a little amiss about how the events played out on the floor. Some of the events were like really, really high energy, felt great. Some of the events just kind of, you kind of felt like the crowd just needed a little something else. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't run these events. I don't program events for spectators. Uh, so it's hard for me to tell exactly what that thing was, but you can feel it. You know, when you look around on in the crowd, in the stadium, the elites are going, a lot of important things are riding on the performances of that particular heat and people are silent or not really knowing where to pay attention. That sort of thing, you just feel it. So that to me is kind of a knock on the programming because I think that's where that gets improved. You just change one thing here or there and suddenly it becomes a little tighter of a ship. So like I said, programming, B plus, A minus, if I had, you know, the budget for graphics or the technology to do graphics, it would be like maybe right here. It'd be like B plus, A minus, like that. You get what I'm doing. We're we're in this together, guys. All right, let's talk about the competition now. The competition was uh, what I would refer to as super dope. That's That's the official grading. Super dope was the competition. It was very exciting performances forced out of all the winners 
including the people who ended up getting the sanctionals invites. I mean, they, they were forced to do really, really impressive things. The head-to-head we saw on the women's side between Sarah Sigmund's daughter and Tia Claire Toomey lived up to the hype. It was just so fun to watch those two go back and forth. Um, it was great to catch up with both of them afterwards, sort of talk to them individually and see sort of, hey, what did you think about how this whole thing went with you guys? And you know, they, they were both pretty excited about how it went. Um, and they learned a lot about their individual competitive advantages uh, over the course of the weekend. You know, the competition schedule was a little bit light because, you know, you're kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Last year, I would argue Wadapalooza, you know, essentially had all the competition across three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And because of that, the elites were competing in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. So they had these long days, 12, 13, 14 hour long days where they had to like ramp up, peak their performance, cool down a little bit, have a big window of time where they're not doing anything, ramp up. It was very old school CrossFit. You know, regionals used to be that way before they moved it to a different schedule where the individuals compete in the afternoon and the teams compete in the morning. And that schedule has kind of sort of been adopted. That's that's kind of what happened this year at Wadapalooza. So they ended up spreading the entire competition across four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where the elites would start in the early afternoon, like noon, one, maybe 2 p.m. And then their events for the evening would happen, you know, 6 p.m., 7 p.m., that sort of thing. So they really were only there half the time. But what that ends up doing for the competition is it gives them them being the athletes, the opportunity to recover much, much more. And one of the things that, you know, is very true about CrossFit as a sport is that it is an endurance event. The the meta test that is happening if you zoomed out from each individual test or each individual day, the meta test that is happening is a recovery test, is an endurance test, is a is a grit test. Now it should not be that aggressive at something like sanctionals. However, it was maybe tuned down a little too much at Wadapalooza because of how they had to spread it out. Now, is that really Wadapalooza's fault? And is it worse than it was before? I would say, yeah, they're responsible for it. I don't know if it was necessarily worse than it was before. I would say this is probably easier on the athletes. So take that how you might right? You might think, oh, it's easier on the athletes. That's great. They get to recover a little bit better. We get to see better performances. Some athletes might be like, well, my ability to recover between events is my strength. So, you know, the fact that we're not doing three events a day or four events a day, and it's not 12 hour days actually mitigates some of the advantages that I might have in this scenario. So I think there's, there's kind of pros and cons either way. I don't know if there's a right answer to that one. I do know that for, you know, watching the competition, it was a long weekend. You know, by the time we got to Saturday, I was, I was toast. I mean, it was long, long days all the way across. And then suddenly we had a full, another full day, um, on the, at the very end. But anyway, back to the competition, women's competition, super dope men's competition, even more super dope, like super dope. Plus, if you can imagine that, uh, here's what I mean by that. Pat Vellner, who won Wadapalooza, the second year in a row he's taken the W. He had the lead only twice the entire weekend after event one, which he won, and after the final event, which he won. 
That's it. Those are the only two times that Pat was at the top of the leaderboard. Outside of that, he was fighting Travis Williams, Cole Sager. It was just this really great competition um, that was super exciting to watch, really exciting to see. We got to check in with athletes that we don't usually get to see from um, or hear from, right? You know, for example, it's been a very long time since we've seen Travis Williams compete individually. And he he was pretty good, guys. I mean, he he did he did pretty good. Pretty pretty good. And you know, he had the lead for the first half of the competition. I mean, after that he kind of cratered. There was a couple things that he didn't he didn't quite count on happening, I don't think. Um, but at the end of the day, he took fifth, I believe, overall in a very stacked field. That that's got to mean something. I mean, Travis Williams is uh is fun to watch for a lot of different reasons, mainly because he's just there to just, you know, uh what's the saying? It's better to burn out than to fade away. Travis Williams has no fade away in him. It's 100% just, you know, heart of a dying star in terms of how much heat and performance he's putting out, and then from there it just right down into the fucking dirt. It's great, and I love it. It's so much fun to watch because he crushes things and then he gets crushed. And you're like, man, I've been there. That's dope. Plus, he has all the confidence in the world that he thinks he can keep that up. It's awesome. It's so good. Um, So watching Travis Williams compete, very fun. Give us a little bit of insight into where he's at in his season, how fit he's feeling. I think the answer is he's in a pretty good place. He's pretty fit. We also got to see Cole Sager. We don't get to see Cole compete very often. Cole doesn't leave Spokane for much. You know, Cole likes to keep to himself. He's got his YouTube channel. He does his good things there. He has, you know, his, what he referred to when I, I spoke to him after the event, his mad laboratory. You know, he's, he's like the mad scientist in his mad lab. Um, and so he he just sequesters himself into his garage and he trains like a monster and he fixes his mistakes and he learns from his competitive past. And then he shows up and he puts it in into play and he ties for first place, loses loses first place. Now, Seeing that side of Cole is, is for me, and this is my job, and for you guys, as it should be, a reminder that not everything you see is the, pic, is, the, is the full picture, right? You're not getting you're not getting the full picture. Someone like Cole shows up, he's under the radar, he always does well at the games. So why is he under the radar? Well, he doesn't get a lot of coverage and he doesn't put himself out there for that sort of thing. He doesn't talk about his performances, his training, and he's not doing flashy stuff like Matt does, like winning the games over and over again. So Cole just does really well consistently, just always, always pushing for that top performance. When he does show up and he competes against someone who's a big fan favorite like Pat Vellner, and he's beating Vellner for most of the weekend, that's that's how you get eyeballs on you. That's how you get attention. So this competition gave us really valuable data about you know where these athletes are at but specifically about Cole Sager Cole is looking and feeling very fit do not count him out when it comes to the CrossFit games just don't forget about him because he is a beast it is not an accident that he did this well at Guadalupe and then the team competition came down to 0.03 seconds of you know differential in who would win the entire thing 
that's really awesome. You know, we saw super teams galore going head to head and really pushing mayhem freedom in a way they haven't been pushed in a long time, especially considering they sort of brought on Scott Panchik as the ringer this year. So they have four incredibly talented athletes, you know, on a team that is coming off of the most dominant team win in the history of the CrossFit games. They basically never relinquished first place. Um, So, you know, when, when you look at it that way and you look at, Oh wow. At Wadapalooza, they may have actually lost. Like they could have lost. That means a lot, right? That tells you a lot about the competitive life of these, these teams and that there is potential for the team competition to not be a runaway. And that's really all we can ask for. The only thing we can really ask for is that the team competition is not a runaway. So I would give the competition an A plus, uh, a super dope to super dope plus. Really, really good work. Um, that's not really something. That's more like a network effect. You just put together the vibe, the crowd, the programming, the people, the right competitors, and the competition emerges from all of those things. So it's not necessarily something that you can explicitly plan for and execute, but it is something that you can definitely tip the scales towards. And Wadapalooza certainly did that. So shout out to them for being able to pull that off. Great competition. Now, usually at this point, I'll talk about broadcast, but I'm going to talk about broadcast last because that's going to be um, a whole big, big, deep whole topic right there. Uh, moving on to the in-person experience. I would, I'm going to give this one an A. I talked about it overall, giving this the um, Wadapalooza, uh, like saying it's it's essentially a top tier sanctional. If it's not the gold standard, then uh, it certainly should be considered at the gold standard, which would probably be the CrossFit Games. So when you look at the in-person experience, the in-person experience plays a huge role in in that value. For example, they had, you know, they had alcohol. That's pretty cool. They had plenty of things for people to do and experience. There was meet and greets with various athletes. There were a ton of different vendors. Um, for people to sort of talk to, you know, learn what their new, this new like grip tape. I've never heard of this before. What's going on, right? They, they got a chance to like get all of those experiences, um, buy stuff. And that's, that's positive for everybody involved. That's positive for the vendors. That's positive for the tens of thousands of people that show up to, to uh, spectate and experience Wadapalooza. That's positive across the board. The only knock that I can give Wadapalooza for the in-person experience is that they have outgrown Bayfront Park. They need to think outside of the box. And the biggest the biggest sort of proof of that statement is that if you were there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, but if you weren't there, you won't know this was going on. But basically, they they had a ton of seating available, thousands of seats available but there were still not enough seats for people to watch the elite events in person. You know, you'll see pictures of these big crowded jam packed bleachers and that's exactly what they were. But what you didn't see was the line of a thousand people waiting like one in one out style to get a seat. This is uh, the story of a girl. No, 
that's that was awful. I don't know why that just happened. That's like one of those things. Uh, <laughs> this is a symptom uh, of their own success. This is this is something that Wadapalooza has to learn how to deal with. They have to figure out how to deal with it. You know, they have they have tens of thousands of people showing up to this competition. Everybody wants the opportunity to see the elites compete because that is a big part of the draw. They have nearly 3000 athletes competing, nearly 3000 people who are there to compete and giving people sort of the the well, you know, you have to get seated three and a half hours before the heats begin in order to have your seat that can leave a bad taste in people's mouths. Um, so again, I would say the in-person experience, that's an A, they nailed it. They need to think outside of the box. They need to be a little more creative to figure out how they can, if they're going to stay in Bayfront Park, they need to figure out how they can accommodate more people. Um, if they're not going to stay in Bayfront Park, they need to figure out somewhere that has the same vibe. So that itself is going to be tough. So essentially they're they're kind of between a rock and a hard place they can't really limit the number of people who are going to show up maybe they do assigned seating and just do like sort of vip packages for the assigned seating or do like three tiers of uh, of entry they do like a vip tier they do the assigned seating tier and then they have like the general admission which is just the festival ticket um and then they set up ways for people to watch the event now they had a couple of those they had two different locations one in the food court one on the beach where athletes not athletes sorry spectators could hang out and watch the competition via the broadcast. Um, I watched the competition from those broadcast uh, areas uh, at least twice over the course of the weekend, like twice, like literally watching the elites go because either I couldn't get in uh, for one of the seats or the media area was so jam-packed that it was just easier and better for me to watch it via the broadcast. So overall, a Definite places to improve, maybe more of those spots to watch the broadcast, maybe bigger, maybe more stuff to do in those areas to kind of draw people into it. Um, but that's all that, you know, adds up in terms of cost. So they are kind of suffering from their own success in a way with how many people are showing up. Now, let's go on to the prize money. Uh, I actually have the graphics for this one. Let's pop that up on the screen, yo. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so the prize money this year, $400,000 in prize purse, up almost $100,000 from last year. That is a huge, huge increase. Oh, yeah, I definitely, wow. I definitely drooled a little bit of that water out. Um, Huge, huge increase in their prize pool. In fact, not only did they increase the prize pool, let's look over here. They added event wins, $2,020 for all the event wins on the elite side. And they paid all the way through to 10th place on the elites. Uh, In both the individual and the teams, they paid all the way down to 10th place. That's that's huge. Why is that huge? Uh, For a couple reasons. Reason number one, it's super expensive to be in Miami. Not all of these teams and individuals have sponsors that are paying for them to be there and paying for their flights or paying for their hotel rooms. Uh, Those are, those are really, really challenging, um, you know, logistics to, to make happen, right? It's really challenging to make those ends meet paying down to 10th place. You know, you get $1,500 from the 10th place. Is that going to pay for everything over the course of the weekend? No, not even close. However, 
it does offset your costs a lot. So you get in 10th place, it covers your hotel or it covers your flights or it covers your hotel and part of your flights or it covers your flights and all your food and part of your hotel, right? So it, it does something to offset the cost. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about uh, a lot behind the scenes is kind of, and Morning Chalk Up actually did a pretty good job of putting together these these financial figures is essentially, we talk about what is the grand total of money in the sport available for athletes at this point, you know, and if the answer is super low, you know, it, it, it doesn't quite trickle down into the bottom tier of athletes. If the money is very, very high, but it peaks only at the very top, then, you know, it kind of becomes a get it while again is good. And, you know, you start seeing athletes just running around to the biggest paying events and only doing those and only taking those paychecks, right? So there's kind of this balance of there needs to be way more money in the sport. That money can't necessarily just be top heavy for every different event. Um, It needs to be spread out. So seeing them paid all the way down to 10th place, that's important. They're kind of doing the right thing there. Uh, They also paid out for the master's divisions, the adaptives, the weightlifting face-off, and Waza Strong. Now, I don't know why these numbers have any variation to them. I don't know why the masters only get 1,000, whereas adaptive get 500. I don't know why the Wadapalooza weightlifting face-off is worth two grand, but Waza Strong is only worth $1,000. When both of those things took place over the course of one day on uh, Thursday, I don't know. I don't know what the difference is there. I know that it'd probably be better if those things were aligned. You know, if everything was $1,500 or if everything was $1,000, that would just make it feel a lot more, um, I don't know. It would just feel better. You know, it's kind of weird to see there's this big of a variation. Like, why is the Masters Division, which competes four days or three days, uh, half the prize money as the weightlifting face-off where you compete for one day. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe there's like sponsorship money that's involved in there. Maybe there's like different sponsors, like the, the weightlifting face-off gets its own sponsors that just like put in money. Um, but either way, I would like to see this even out. I think they, they absolutely can even it out. Uh, so that's something to consider for Wadapalooza in the future. Um, so if I didn't say it already, the prize money, A, Real, real good. This is one of the biggest prize purses in the entire sport. Uh, the only other events it's basically competing with are, and not counting the CrossFit Games, are like Dubai and Rogue. You know, Dubai functions on a completely different economic scale versus the rest of these events, so it's kind of hard to count them in. And Rogue is kind of this new thing. It's trying to figure out exactly where it is. I would be shocked if the Rogue Invitational that we saw this year is exactly the same as the Rogue Invitational from last year, and I'd be even more shocked if the next Rogue Invitational is the same as it is this year. They're still trying to really hone in exactly where they're going to fit. Now, they're going to have a big-ass prize purse for sure. You can definitely bet on that, but is the event always going to have like the shooting and stuff? So, like, you know, Wadapalooza has been around for a really long time, and it has the biggest, if not one of the biggest, prize purses in the sport. That's the exact direction that you want to see things going. All of that aside, we've talked about everything except the broadcast. So it's time for us to do exactly that. 
And before we get into talking about the broadcast, there's something I want to show you. Two different events were live streamed for free on Flow Elite's YouTube channel. The first event was uh, Wadapalooza 2020 Elite Teams taking on Loose. So we're talking about uh, a little under 90 minutes worth of live footage. If you want to see what Flow Elite's product looks like, watch this video. It'll, it'll show you exactly what it's going to look like. The, the, this is the Flow Elite product. This is the broadcast. But I'm not worried about that. I don't really care about... We'll talk about the, the quality of the broadcast in a second. Let's see if I can zoom in here and show you what I am caring about. I'm caring about this number right here. This number that I'm highlighting accurately. There we go. That number says 143,876. This stream was live for less than 90 minutes and it has garnered nearly 150,000 views. Uh, Essentially what that means is concurrently you're looking at six to 10,000 people watching it at any given time uh, during this 90 minutes. It's 80 minutes. It's not even 90 minutes. During this 80 minutes. And so really what that tells me and what it should tell you is that there is a hunger for consuming this content. There's a hunger for consuming what uh, the broadcast of uh, the Wadapalooza Fitness Festival would look like. Now, I'm trying to look for what the other event was. So they streamed, the other event they streamed was the um, Tina Hills. They streamed the elite teams taking on uh, Down and Up, right? The deadlift burpee workout. And uh, this one got 36,000 views. Why is it less? I have no idea. I I don't know why it's less. Uh, What I do know is that when you have a stream that gets nearly 150,000 views over the course of just about 80 minutes, uh, there's value there. There's something that that people are really hungry for. So does Flo's live stream cut it? The answer is very simply no, it doesn't. Um, And there are a lot of reasons for this. So basically, simply put, this isn't it. I understand the economics. I think we've talked about the economics a bunch of times before uh, about exactly why this happens and exactly why we see the the flow sports model show up um, in CrossFit. Uh, but to give you the rundown, essentially it works something like this. The event has an option. If they choose to live stream, they have an option, right? They could always choose not to live stream what they're doing, but they choose to live stream, they have an option. Uh, They can pay for the live stream on their own, monetize it themselves, and go through a rigmarole and a whole bunch of shenanigans that is involved there. Shenanigans-like and stuff that you may not think about uh, that goes into it. But for example, you know, there's the base cost of actually putting on a production. You you have to you know get a bunch of different companies to give you their uh, their their proposals for what it's going to cost and what they're going to provide. 
You know, you have to make a decision based off of your expectations of what the broadcast is going to look like. Pick the right company that's going to provide you with a broadcast. Find the money to do that. That itself is another set of, you know, steps, long steps. The sales cycle for trying to figure out who's going to sponsor this, who's going to pay for it, what ads do we have on the live stream in order to make it work monetarily and financially, that adds time, right? This isn't something that you can put together in just four weeks or eight weeks or even 12 weeks. Like you need, you need half a year, you need five months, six months, seven months to really lock down what it's going to look like and how it's going to flow because ideally it would all work together. The events would kind of be programmed for the live stream and the live stream would be really well aware of what the events are going to look like so they can plan ahead. On top of that, by the way, that doesn't include the development of any sort of um, graphics or any sort of information that needs to be put up onto the screen. All of that is technology that needs to be put together. So you need to talk to various providers of your scoreboard, various providers of your timers, different companies that do all these different specialties. You need to bring them all together. That is one option if you choose to put on live stream. The other option is what Flow offers on the table and economically it makes a lot of sense flow basically says hey guys instead of you going through all of that we're gonna pay you like you don't have to put down any money to put down your broadcast we're gonna pay you to take the license uh uh, licensing rights for your live stream and then we'll produce it we'll sell it we'll put ads against it we'll have subscription uh to pay for our costs and make money off of it and you immediately make money just because we're giving you cash right out the gate and if again if you see the economics of it that is a very difficult decision to make because while the flow economics is the cost of you know your broadcast goes down to zero and suddenly something that was you know in the red is immediately in the black the actual cost of it must include the damage or potential damage you get with the community with us watching this thing as someone who worked at flow this was something that i ran into constantly it was a, a it was something that we we i butt heads with people over all the time um in other sports that they cover this makes sense in other sports that they cover there's value to to what they can bring right uh, there's ways that they can elevate the sport and what it's got going on in crossfit the biggest hurdle that flow sports ever had to being successful is the fact that CrossFit themselves produced like ridiculously undeserved quality of media. And when I say undeserved, I mean quite literally undeserved. The market didn't support it. The fan base size didn't support it. The size of the community wasn't there to, to make a good argument that it should exist the way it existed or it should cost what it cost. However, there was a very wealthy patron behind it all who was like, hey man, let's do this until he decided, hey man, let's not do this. So the, the fact of the matter is CrossFit set this benchmark and no one can meet that benchmark. If you are going into 
any sanctional viewing experience expecting something like regionals or like the CrossFit Games, you are setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment. Do not do that. The fact that we saw events put together, you know, live scoring at Wadapalooza, or I'm sorry, live scoring at Mayhem Classic, you know, that that's huge. That adds so much more um, logistical complications, right? But the games and, and regionals have been doing that for years. Why don't why don't all the competitions do that? What's going on? Right. So suddenly the question becomes, you know, CrossFit kind of sort of sullied the water a little bit, maybe poisoned the well a little bit in the expectations that it's set. However, after a year, you know, the the community is getting used to it. We're starting to get we're starting to get uh, you know, close to understanding sort of what to expect and where to go here and what we can get from various sanctionals. Flow's model is built around the subscription. And the subscription makes sense in certain scenarios. If, for example, every sanctional was behind a paywall and it was one paywall, yeah, I mean, it would make sense. You'd pay you'd pay like 150 bucks for the year to watch 30 events. 30 events. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, even if you missed a couple of them here and there, you could watch the replays. You could watch the archives. Uh, it wouldn't. It's okay. That's that's not that bad. 150 bucks a year. Cool. No problem. But when you're talking about watching one, two, four events over the course of the year, the financial aspect of it from the spectators' perspective is not quite there. The argument isn't is not you know a, a win. It, it it really you have to consider it. And the other option from like the third, the hundred fifty dollars, if I don't, if I, if I remember correctly, is either it's like hundred fifty bucks for the year or thirty bucks for the month. Um, so I understand the economics, but the end result is absolutely subpar. Uh, it it really really limits the exposure that a brand like Wadapalooza is looking for in a very real way. You know, we saw that first video had almost one hundred and fifty thousand views for an eighty minute video. It doesn't quite scale arithmet- arithmetically. It doesn't quite scale linearly, right? But if instead of it being 80 minutes long, it was eight hours long, you're talking about getting half a million views, three quarters of a million views. I don't know. I can't do math. That's not how that works. But you get a lot more views, right? And suddenly your four-day event is pulling in a few million views, a couple of million views, there's real value there. So I, I, and here's the thing, right? And I started this video by talking about this. I have insights on both sides of this. I, I have a lot of love and respect for the people at flow sports, the, the live producers, believe it or not, they hear all the feedback, all the criticism, and they work their ass off to try and make their product improved and better. Even over the course of the weekend, it got better from Thursday to Sunday. And I know that because I was talking to the live producers on the floor. Hey, did you hear You know what's going on? Anna Paquin called you out on Instagram. What was that all about? And they're like, yeah, we saw that. That was crazy. We're trying to figure out how we can handle that. Dope. So it's not like, um, it's not this scenario where it's just a bunch of like bad people 
or bad faith decisions being made. In reality, the uh, the the people that are in charge of putting out this product, they have the same they have the same like pride in their work that you have in your work. They want to put out a product that they're proud of that that their audience enjoys. Um, and it doesn't always work out that way, whatever, budgeting reasons, environmental reasons, you know, c- communication breakdowns, maybe they started the planning process too late. Who knows? I don't know exactly why that type of thing would break down, but there isn't, there, this is not the solution. This is not the solution. If, if Flow wants to make this work with the crowd, with the community they're in, I know that they're absolutely never going to change their price point. It's just not going to happen because their price point is set because it works. That's what that's what they're looking for. However, the offering needs to be updated. They need to have more stuff that's available for people to watch live for free. They need to have more content, more highlights of their stream that's coming out on a regular basis. The the fact of the matter is Wadapalooza re-signing with Flow Sports, Loud and Live re-signing with Flow Sports, it's a blemish. It's absolutely a blemish. It's not the best look. And they need to be in a place where like those two companies need to come together and actually put together a plan that works in covering this thing for people. I I get the understand I get the uh I get the argument from Flow Sports side that hey man we got to make money we have to make our production you know fit within this this budgetary constraint because here's how much money we're going to be making off of it right I absolutely understand that I understand Wadapalooza's perspective hey guys this is really expensive we have three four stages we have uh, tens of thousands of people coming in to watch us we have three thousand athletes people want to watch their friends and their family compete it'd be it would be it would it would scuttle the entire event if we had to pay for it ourselves. I totally get that. I even understand the spectator's perspective of like, hey guys, why isn't this free? Why can't I just watch this? Or what is it that I'm actually paying for? I understand those questions. What is not cool, what we as a community cannot fall into is the demand, demand, demand with no understanding of the cost or the work involved in things coming into place. you can be upset that it costs $30. That's way too expensive. You can be upset that it's behind a paywall. Okay, there's maybe some ideological reasons why you don't want to pay for the content. Maybe you think that the advertising should be able to pay for it. Maybe you think that you know there should be some other monetary perspective. Maybe it should be pay-per-view instead of subscription. Totally understand that. But don't get to the point where you know, you take that ideological difference between yourself and the organizers who, by the way, are trying their hardest on every end, right? Me as media, I'm trying my hardest to give you guys the best content I can. Uh, Flow Sports is trying their hardest to give you the best production they can within their constraints and all the decisions that they need to make. Loud and Live is trying to do their hardest. They're making decisions between, you know, uh, the out of the oven into the frying pan type situation between a rock and a hard place. You understand the analogy I'm putting out here? They're doing the same thing in order to put themselves in a position to provide the best thing they can, right? They might see this as like a sacrifice to be able to pay for, you know, five sanctionals down the season and another five sanctionals next season, but this is the cost that they need to pay right now and they just need like everyone to participate and be on board, right? So there's there's a lot of different um there's a lot of different factors at play here, 
my my the biggest piece of advice, the biggest and best thing that I can offer you in terms of a perspective on this thing is assume positive intent. Assume positive intent. Do not assume that people are just out to get you and take advantage of you and provide you the worst possible service they can. No one is trying to do that. No one's trying to do that. The broadcast that Flow Elite put on for Wadapalooza was not good. It was subpar. That is not the result of them being bad, evil people or Wadapalooza being greedy, bad business people who are just trying to take advantage of the system. That's not it. The fact of the matter is everyone involved wants the best product out there and this wasn't it. So what's the next step? How do you, how do you move on from that? Where do you go from that understanding? The only thing you can do is bring everyone to the table and have a frank conversation about it. Hey guys, here's where we failed. Here's where we exceeded uh, expectations. Here's where we need to be better. And it's up to those parties to make the decision. Your voice will factor into that decision. Your voice will factor into that decision. Everybody on social media, I'm, I'm telling you, it might sound like you know your gripes go unheard, And in some cases, they're blatantly ignored when they're just not offering something constructive or uh, valuable feedback. If it's just super negative, it gets ignored. But I, I know for a fact every single party involved has heard and taken to heart all the criticisms that people laid down on the production quality, on the cost on the Flow website, on Wadapalooza for re-signing with Flow. These are, this is feedback that they've heard and it's now up to them to figure out what the solution is to this. If it was my perspective, I don't think the subscription model is doomed to fail. I actually think the subscription model can work in this space, but the offering needs to be both way more quantitatively better as in there are more events to watch and qualitatively improved as in there's more things that are making the stream better for the fact the the fact is the uh the live stream not having a clock on it makes no sense zero sense the live stream not having a clock on it makes no sense. The entire sport is built around the clock. The entire sport is built around the clock. I don't get it. That I don't understand at all, right? So there's there's just stuff that they can do to immediately improve the situation. I, again, uh, think that the, the fact is this type of model can succeed it just needs to be changed a little bit it needs to be it needs to be made to address the situation that is unique to crossfit and unique to us as spectators um what those changes look like that's a whole different world that's a whole different world you know i I don't exactly know exactly what that's going to look like there's a lot there's a lot that goes into making these live streams um i'm incredibly proud of both sides of the the table 
you know, I'm, I, th- I've seen it. I've, I've seen the work that goes into making these live streams, whether it's flow involved or not, whether it's like my friends at flow or people who uh, used to work at regionals and the games and brought in for mayhem classic, you know, the, the work, the absolute, just soul crushing amount of work and money it takes to pull off these live streams is unknown to the community. And it's something that we need to all understand that people are just doing what they can within the constraints that they're working in. Assume positive intent. Do not just straight up assume that they're they're nickel and diming you or making a bad decision to take something away from you. Everyone's trying to do their best. And while this isn't it, it's exactly conversations like this. It's exactly feedback like this that I know the event organizers at Loud and Live are going to get, and I know that the, uh, the, the people involved at Flow Sports are going to get, this is the feedback that actually moves it forward, that actually gets all of us moving in the right direction. Do I expect something to change between now and like West Coast Classic? West Coast Classic is in like three weeks. It would, it would blow my mind if something changed between now and then. Uh, rather than, for example, an improvement in the product. It would blow my mind if there was something other than Flow doing their their live stream. I don't think that's going to happen. So don't get your hopes up for that. But if you if you signed up for the subscription for Flow, you're, you're going to get to watch West Coast Classics in the same month. So you get two events for 30 bucks a month. Okay. I mean, that that's probably closer to a value proposition that makes sense. But still, this is not it. This is not it. Um, I watched the broadcast. You know, I was there in person. A lot of people don't know what like the daily schedule looks like for us while we're there in person. But I was there in person. I watched the broadcast every single day. I watched the broadcast for at least a couple of hours. Whether it was a little bit of quiet time while I'm like editing or trying to you know pay attention to something else or getting a bite to eat and I just have it on my phone in the background or if I'm in the food court and watching it with everybody because I didn't get a seat in the stadium. Um, or if I'm back at the Airbnb and I'm just sort of, uh, you know, I left before the events wrapped up for the day. So I'm just catching up and watching the final couple heats, um, in our Airbnb, you know, I watched a couple of hours of the live stream each day and there were some positives, there were some negatives. And like I said, before the event even kicked off, by the way, flows quality of product is a very narrow band. It's fine to good. It's not going to knock it out of the park. You're not going to get the CrossFit games and it's not going to be straight garbage. It's going to be fine to good. Now, this one was much, much closer to the fine version. It was like average-ish, but that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Not for a marquee event like Wadapalooza, not for a marquee series of events like Loud and Live is putting on, not for the community and the context within which these events are taking place. It's really important that this conversation occurs. It's really important that this feedback gets there because otherwise it's just going to be the crowd yelling. So I hope that in a way I've kind of pulled together both, and this is why I started the video talking about this, pulled together my experience with the event organizers of not just Wadapalooza and Loud and Live, but all the different sanctionals. 
and my experience working at Flow, understanding the ins and outs of their content strategy, of their live strategy, of their production um, and the budgetary constraints around those productions. And putting all of those things together with your feedback, with my experience in person and on the stream. These things, putting all of those things together and offering it up as a sort of, hey guys, here's the state of the situation. Here's where we're at. Here's why this is really valuable and why it's very important. Hopefully, hopefully that can move the ball in the right direction. We can get a little bit of momentum on this thing, get this thing moving in the right direction. Hopefully we'll see what happens. The season isn't even halfway through. There's a lot left. There's a lot of sanctionals left. So there is, there's no reason to write it off as being a complete loss. There is a reason to be hopeful because like I said, all of these people want this thing to succeed. It's in everybody's best interest that it succeeds. No one wants to see it fail. So assume positive intent, provide good criticism and feedback. Don't take it to somewhere where it does not need to go. Don't be super negative or gross about it. It is what it is. We're all in this together trying to figure out the best way of making this work. And our conversation, our dialogue is what's going to provide the feedback that they need in order to move the thing in the right direction. And I wanted to separate that from like the full review of Wadapalooza because it's so important, because it's so different, because the fact is Wadapalooza nails so many different things that this one, this one bad move, this one subpar execution, it should not negatively reflect on everything and bring it down that aggressively. So there's a whole lot we can learn here. Um, before we wrap up here, uh, we've been going for well over an hour. That's fantastic. Let's go ahead and take a look and see if there's any, uh, comments on the YouTube stream. I'm going to start at the top and we'll see if we can get any questions. So you basically have the next five, maybe six minutes to ask some questions and I'll start answering some questions. Let's see. Uh, Ryan Lilly says it was so cool meeting you and chase at Waza this weekend. I was the guy with the up backpack. Loved your backpack. So dope. Uh, I wanted to know what component you would have changed about any workout if you had the chance. I think the main thing that comes to mind, Ryan, there is um, I would have adjusted the pistols. I think the swimming workout was really cool. We love to see it, but it wasn't a swimming workout. The fact of the matter, that was a pistol workout. The entire thing just came down to your cadence and rhythm on pistols. So I would adjust the pistols. I would just turn that into, um, you know, they had the sandbag clean. So I would honestly turn it into some sort of pressing movement. You know, whether it was handstand pushups, I think that would work out really well with it because the clean works as like an explosive pull. You get like a pressing movement in there, a handstand pushup um, would function well there. You know, that's that's kind of the, the biggest first thing that comes to mind. Uh, let's see. Any other questions? Uh, the story of Fraser catching someone cheating was hilarious. SWAT 486. Yes. Yes, it was. If you didn't see that, uh, I put it up on my Facebook. Um, it is near the end of our interview and it is wonderful. It's, it's a great story of Matt sort of catching somebody cheating the legless rope climbs and doesn't, the, the story isn't about Matt catching this person and the person cheating. It's not about that. 
So don't expect to be like, oh, who's the cheater? It doesn't matter. The story is about Matt being this like very dialed in spectator and how big of a nightmare that is for everyone else who's on the floor when the fittest man on earth is just eyeballing every one of your reps with a very critical eye. Um, let's see. Uh, Pigment Film talks about it sucks to be uh, to see such a great looking event take place behind a paywall. Pay yep. Okay. Um, Batman says, Batman, what's up? I noticed during the swim event. Last heat, half the audience were leaving after T and Sarah finished. Most of the competitors were still on the floor. That was very common. Uh, that was very common. We saw that happen constantly. Um, basically, even at the very end of, of the larger events, every time the leaders would finish, everyone would just kind of, you know, uh, distill their way out of the stadium. I don't know. I don't think that's a great thing, personally. Um, I don't know how you change that. Uh, that might be something that can be adjusted with making things more exciting or at least laying the stakes down better. So I'm not hundred percent sure exactly where the improvement comes to make that better, but you know, uh, RPK 74 M says, where in Miami could you do Waza besides Bayfront park? Um, could they rent out double arena as a Coliseum? Is that AA arena double arena is it like American airlines or something? I don't know. I don't know anything about normal normal sports guys. Sorry, uh, I don't know. I don't know where in Miami they could do Wadapalooza besides Bayfront Park, but I do know that Bayfront Park they're outgrowing it. Years ago, I would have told you in 2016, 2017 they had outgrown Bayfront Park, but here we are, three or four years later. Who who'd have thought? Look at us, look at us. Here we are. Who'd have thought? Not me, not me. But. They found a way to make it work. They found a way, you know, they added more seating. They added bigger bleachers. They added a new bespoke stage. They added different places where they could have competition. They added all these different values and uh, different uh, experiences and they're still there and they're still crushing it. So it's up to them to be creative and figure out where it goes. Uh, champions Harbor. We had to get our seats four hours ahead of the events to film and get photos of our athletes. Otherwise we had no chance of getting any content or just a simple good view of the action. That was my experience as well. That was my experience as well. Um, let's see. Some of the stages had enough seating. Uh, correct. They also cut the broadcast at 8 PM every night, which was a bummer. That is, that is true. I had that experience as well because I, uh, I did I watched one of the events in the food in the food court and it cut out before the final heat started. So I'm not 100% sure what that was all about. Fergie show, just bleep the curse words like Craig Ritchie does. You deserve the views. That Fraser interview is epic. Thank you very much. I agree with you, but there's no fucking way I'm bleeping curse words uh, because we're all adults here and we're talking about fitness. So, you know, it's just part of the, it's just part of the, part of the process. Now, if like my grandma was like, you know, made a request that I don't curse as much. I'd be really shocked because she doesn't speak English. So she wouldn't really know what any of the curse words were, but you understand what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think we're going to be getting rid of the cursing anytime soon. It's just part of the process. Um, let's see. 
Don't do ad reads. Totally kills your credibility with your audience. Nobody likes a shill. Stay rebellious. Nobody likes a shill. Don't get me wrong. I'm with you, but I've got to pay my bills somehow. So listen, if you don't want me to do ad reads, I won't do ad reads. But the only way this works if I don't do ad reads is you buy a whole bunch of merchandise or you directly support me by going to armandhammer.tv slash support and you sign up for a monthly deal. That's the only way this thing functions. YouTube doesn't pay a lot and that's how I've been making my ends meet over the past you know, two years. But it's lean. It's not great for me to, you know, be able to travel internationally and travel to various events. The coverage is expensive. It does take a lot of time and effort. It is my full-time job. Somewhere there needs to be money involved, right? And uh, I think I do a pretty good job. So someone, whether it's a brand or sponsor that's going to help bring in cash to make this thing continue running, or you guys, the audience, which is my preference, coming together and being like, hey man, like the Spider-Man meme, careful with him, right? You're gonna carry him with us. That's what I'm looking for. So yeah, you're right. Uh, nobody wants to hear ad reads every 20 minutes on a show, but your boy's gotta make some money. It's expensive to feed feed me. And you know this Patagonia sweater was not cheap. You know what I'm talking about? All right, let's see. Um, no one knew about the second video because we all saw we had to pay to watch after the first team event. I'm not going back to their page, hoping they'll throw us a bone. Uh, that's from, uh, Gabby Diedrich. Um, fair enough. Absolutely fair. Let's see. SWAT 46. Waza can't compare to rogue classic been to both the Miami shenanigans are always in full effect. I'm not sure if that's a compliment for Wadapalooza or not, but either way, Miami shenanigans is absolutely the best way of describing what's going on there. Uh, Christopher Marks, Arm and Savior audio setup. It's finally spot on. We did it, guys. We finally did it. It took us um, like three weeks of live shows, and this is it. Batman says, will West Coast Classic be streamed on Flowly as well? Yes. Uh, Super Dope needs to be your next shirt. Okay. Trademarked. We're going to do that. We'll figure it out. Uh, Last set of questions here, guys. How, why, how was the Mayhem Classic coverage ably done at such a high level and free to viewers? Okay, uh, that's a really good question from Vanilla G. What's the quickest way for me to answer that? Mayhem Classic was held inside of Mayhem, very small. You can't have a lot of spectators. And so what they realized was what can they actually scale? Well, it's not tickets at the gate. You know, it might be some merch, which they do really well with anyway, but really what they need to spend their money on and build and bring people into is the spectators uh, online for their broadcast. So what they decided to do was create a very spectator friendly version of a competition because they only had a few hundred people who were there in person to watch the competition. And so if you watch the stream, they're very, very on point with making sure their sponsors are branded in there. There's a big, big banners from all their big sponsors. Their sponsors ran commercials through it. You know, the different events were sponsored by different athletes or different companies. You know, the commentators are constantly talking about it. All these things add up and that's how you pay for an event like that. Now, did they break even or make money? I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. Um, I know that they spent a ton of money on that live stream. Um, I know it definitely wasn't cheap. I know it wasn't cheap for the sponsors to be involved either, but I don't know. I don't know the the books. And even if I did, I wouldn't be sharing that with you guys. Uh, you know, that is that's definitely like privileged information for for their you know the, the industry as a whole, but also their company specifically. Um, overall, I do know that was a very expensive broadcast to produce, and the 
uh, sponsors paid well in order to be involved in that, but that's their model. The model is not just built on like, okay, we'll have a broadcast and we'll have advertising on it and we'll have sponsors for it. Their, their model was we'll have a broadcast that is the product. And that's a really different way of looking at things. Um, and I really love the fact that they did it that way. Nathan Wilson, is there a good place to give loud and live or flow elite feedback? Honestly, Instagram, like I know that sounds, that sounds wild. I don't think that there's any clearer path to communicating with them outside of, you know, social media channels because everyone spends so much time on social media channels and we, we're all always talking about it. Um, Mark Bellafleur, any discussion about athletes only getting their heat times and workouts the night before at 11 p.m. or 12 a.m.? That I had heard about. Now, I don't know exactly how many people this affected. I know there was a handful of people, maybe a dozen, that missed various heats, and that is a huge bummer. Um, the logistics side of Wadapalooza is really challenging. They have 2,700, 2,800 athletes competing, um, and heat times if it was a perfect world, would be communicated well in advance. I think they slipped up on a couple of those situations, uh, but I don't know the details enough to be able to speak to it uh, other than having heard from some of the athletes that you know they weren't notified of some times that changed their heats and therefore they missed some events. So you know, I haven't spoken to them. I don't know exactly what the situation is there. That is a bummer that it happened though. Uh, let's see. Last question. Uh, this is interesting. Jean Bernard third, maybe question the whole live stream idea. I mean, who sits down and watches every single heat of every single event? This guy does. Maybe if a sanction was strapped for cash, they could go for a highlight news show. That is the exact type of thinking that needs to be just, just fully shotgun blasted into the entire sanctional system. The fact of the matter is, and again, now we're getting into way more stuff, but the fact of the matter is events are going to make money off of various pillars of their business. Broadcasting, live stream, that's just one of them. That's just one of them. Sponsorships, uh, the online qualifier, merchandising, tickets at the gate, um, athlete registration. These are all various revenue streams that can support a healthy event of various sizes. Not every event needs a live stream. You are absolutely correct. Some events can get away with just having a solid media team that pumps out a highlight show at the end of the day. But I don't know how many events are really taking that angle. And I think that is the exact type of of thought process that needs to go into you know, the creativity needs to come. Hey man, how can we cover this thing? That's why I do what I do, right? That's why I tore down the entire set. I took all my lighting, all my audio equipment, all my camera equipment, all my live streaming computers, everything with me to Wadapalooza without the guarantee that I'd be able to use it. Because I was like, you know what? This sport needs this. This event needs this. I think I can do this. Let's see if we can make it happen. And part of it was being very, very well prepared and part of it was not sleeping a lot, and part of it was being lucky that I was able to use uh, you know, pretty solid internet at our Airbnb, but all of those things coming together gave us, I think, a really good look at what actually happened over the course of the weekend without necessarily requiring, quote unquote, the live stream. So yeah, that's a really good point. That's the type of creativity and the type of sort of solutions that need to be um, you know, proposed, considered, and either implemented, adjusted and implemented, or thrown out. Either way, that is all we've got time for, folks. We've been going for 80 minutes. 
Uh, I wholly expect my 80 minutes to be 150,000 views. So make it happen, guys. You know what I'm talking about? Make it happen. Remember, folks, there's a whole lot going on in our sport. Easy to miss some of the most interesting and exciting stories. That is what I am here for. I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for all of your support. If you want to keep the channel going, if you want to be directly involved in making this thing successful, armandhammer.tv slash support. Give me an opportunity to show you why it's worth it. I promise you, I will not disappoint. Thank you so much, folks. I appreciate it. I'll see you guys next time. Later.